we've been in this series called the, the First Church. And we've been looking at First Church principles and then relating them to like our culture, our context. And so we've been slowly walking through the book of Acts, the first four chapters of Acts. And we've been taking just, just their principles and trying to apply it and contextualize it for, for our, our, our time, our society. So this morning we're looking at the sermon title. It's called The Ministering Church. In other words, how do we minister, what is expected of us, and how did the first church minister, then maybe that's how, how we should minister. So if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to, turn to, Acts chapter 3, verses, verses 1 through 10 is where we're going to be. While you're trying to find your place, let me, just, let me give you some, some, some background information. And so maybe you've been with us through this series, and so you're well aware that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he told his disciples to go to the upper room. And, uh, and so they, the disciples gathered everybody up and, and like 120 people went to the, uh, the, 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 uh, the upper room. And so I think that's the most amazing fact right there that 120 people actually did that right. I don't know if you've ever led people. I don't know if you've ever asked a group of people to do something, but sometimes that's hard, right? Because someone always comes up with a better idea, a better room to meet in. You know, how long are we going to be there? I don't know. When the Holy Spirit comes, well, when is that? I don't know. And so 120 people gathered in the upper room, and they simply began to pray and gather and worship. But I think, I think it's one of the things that, that a lot of times we don't look at but once they built unity, that's when the Holy Spirit came. This unity in the body is a big deal. Unity in your family, unity in your business, unity in a, in a, in a local church is a big deal. Because God will never bless disunity. God will never bless division. And so all of a sudden, once these men and women, the 120, they're in this room for like 10 days... That's like unbelievable to me because I don't know if you're like me. When my family comes and visits me after day three, I'm like ready for them to leave, right? And so they're like 120 people, 10 days in the upper room. They all got along. They gathered. They worshiped. They prayed. The Holy Spirit came. And then Simon Peter preaches the, the Pentecost message. I mean, it helps us to understand the character of God and the love of God. Uh, Simon Peter, if you'll remember, was a disciple, and he, he like denied Christ three times, and as a result of that, he was like, he just wanted to quit from ministry, and then Jesus came to him, revealed himself to him, reinstated him, and then renewed his call to ministry. I mean, Jesus could have chose one of the other disciples, right, when Simon Peter failed, and he didn't. He stuck with Simon Peter, and he allowed Simon Peter to preach that Pentecost message, and, and so it tells us and tells me that regardless how you think you failed, God can use you. And God desires to use you regardless of your past, regardless of your background. God is, a, God is a forgiving God, and God wants to renew you and renew your call to ministry. And so he used Simon Peter, and all of a sudden this church went from 120 on Pentecost to like 3,000 people. And the church was like spreading out. Revival was happening in Jerusalem. And so as a result of that, the disciples, they had to decide, what do we do next? I mean, how do we respond to this, and how do, how do, we, how do we minister in this situation? And so they, they, they decided, they said, remember the last thing Jesus told us. Jesus told us that we're to continue what, what he had started, that the church is supposed to continue what he had started. And so they, they just simply began ministering to people, and, and for them, it was like time to get to work. It was time to, 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 to develop and to birth this church, and so that's where we're, we're up to. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Here's a couple of verses, and I'll give you three principles this morning. <coughs> Here's what the Scripture says, starting in verse 1. 
Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So they're going to the, the temple in Jerusalem. They're still walking into the, the Jewish tradition, the Jewish church. And a man lame from birth was being carried. So, so now we know. So we'll get the players. So this, 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 this is a professional beggar. Uh, he had been lame from birth. He was about 40 years old is what, what we understand. And so what would happen is he had a, a man, a handler, that would bring him, set him down at this place, and then leave him in the morning and then come back late that afternoon and, and pick him up. And so it was being carried. Whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms like, like he always did. So three things about a ministering church. If, if we desire to be a ministering church, then what does a ministering church look like? Because listen, this was a huge principle of the first church. The first thing is this. The church's ministry lies in the paths of its, believer, of, of its members. The, mini, the, the, the church's ministry lies in the path of its members. In other words, the church is all of us. The church is not me. The church is not the, the pastor's own staff. The church is just not the leaders. In other words, this, we got to understand that we are the church. We make up the church. The church is every one of us. And, 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 and the church is, it, the, the ministry of the church lies in the path of its members. I cannot tell you how many ministries that we have started in this church, not because it was our idea, not because it was a pastor's idea, but because it was a church member's idea. They came up to us and said, you know what, we have this burden. We have this burden for this group of people, uh, whether it was Africa, whether it was Alaska, whether it was a people group within our community, and said, we would like to start a ministry that would meet that need because we see that need in the community. And, and, and as a result of that, we as pastors and staff, we have gathered around there and resourced them and helped them. And see, sometimes when we look at this issue of ministry, if we're not careful, we, we, we segregate our Christian life or we separate that out. And we think ministry is only what happens inside of these four walls, right? And, and, and ministry is not really what happens out there. I mean, we have, we have our church life and then we have our real life. We have our church life. We have our daily life. And so, but when you look at the first church, you realize that they, they understood that, that ministry is wherever you are. So ministry is wherever you are. Ministry is wherever you are, whether it's in church, uh, whether it's at your life group, whether it's in the community, it's your place of business, maybe a hobby that you have to where you're, you're around a bunch of other people. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in your professing, or profession. Maybe it's your job site. But your ministry, listen, your ministry is wherever you are because here's the interesting thing, and don't miss this. Where was, where was the beggar, inside the church or outside the church? Thank you. He's outside the church. He's not inside the church. And so Peter and John, they are on their way to, to worship, and they notice this guy. They notice this guy, and they realize this guy had, they had something this guy needed. And when you, when, you, when you look at Peter and John, it's amazing when you study their life, and you can do that with, uh, with the works of Josephus, or there's other historical works that are out there about their life. But, but, but John and Simon Peter, they're like, they were childhood friends. The fact is they were raised together in the same small fishing village in a small town called Bethesda. And so they grew up together. Here's the crazy thing. They met Christ within days of one another. They became disciples of Christ. I mean, they became followers of Christ. They were with Jesus, some of the most, I mean, they were like in the inner circle. They had an all-access pass or a backstage pass 
to the, the behind the scenes of, of his life. I mean, they, they witnessed the, the transfiguration in Matthew, Matthew chapter 17. They were there at the Garden of Gethsemane on the night when Jesus was betrayed and, and before he went to the cross when Jesus went to them and, and asked them just to, just to pray with him and, and pray for him. And then all of a sudden, Jesus takes those guys and he calls them to, to, to continue, which he calls us to do, to continue what he started. And so verse 2, watch this. And so, and a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the, the temple. So I've already told you, this man was a professional beggar. This is what he did for a living. And he was, he was, at, the, he was at the beautiful gate. And so I'll, I'll give you a little bit of Bible trivia. I know it's deep, but do you, do you know why it was called the beautiful gate? Because it was beautiful. <laughs> I know that's deep. Hours of research right there. <laughs> Hours. And so they called it, they, you know why they called it the beautiful gate? Because it's the main entrance into the temple. Now listen, uh, this, this, gate, what, this gate was called the beautiful gate. There were other entrances into the temple. This was the main entrance into the temple. It was the most beautiful gate into the temple. Uh, historians and, and, and archaeologists, they, they're arguing all the time about where this temple was in relation to the temple. And it was destroyed in, in 70 A.D. And, and the fall of Rome and some other things. And, and so nobody really knows, but they know, they know it was at the temple. And so the beautiful gate would be like the main entrance to the church. It'd be the main entrance to a venue. Like large venues have multiple entrances, right? You can have some side entrances, and, and, but you also can have a main entrance. And so this was the main entrance into the, 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 the temple. This is where the majority of people. So, so when you look at this, you realize that this man had like prime real estate. I mean, this man had like the most desired place to be. And here's something else, and it's, it's just it's about Roman culture, and, and we just need to discuss this. Because we're talking about first century principles. What in the first century, Roman culture, you think our culture's bad? You think our culture's anti-God? You think our culture's kind of anti-people? When you study Roman Roman culture and what the first century church had to deal with. So in the first century church, if or in the first century culture, if you had a if you had a deformity, if you had a handicap, you were seen less than human. You're marginalized. You're an outcast. You were socially unacceptable. You couldn't hold a job. Nobody would hire you. You were seen as unclean. You were seen as less than human. You had all kinds of barriers around you. Oh, and to make matters worse, you couldn't worship in the temple. Because of, because of your handicap, because of your deformity, you were denied entrance into the Jewish church. You couldn't go. So not only, listen, not only, not only did you not have access to people, access to a job, you didn't have access to, to the church because you were seen as less than human. There are people today, and we run into them all the time, and it may not be an emotional problem for them, or it may not be a physical problem for them, a, a handicap, a, a deformity that keeps them outside of the church. But you know what it is for a lot of people? It's, it's an emotional issue. 
They don't know that they'd be accepted. They don't know that they'd be loved. They worry, and listen, maybe you run into them, I run into them all the time because I, I, I'm purposely around people that don't claim to be followers of Christ, and there's, there's a reason for that, and I may talk about that later. Because I, and whenever I ask them to church, and maybe it's happened to you, sometimes they'll come back and say, well, I would, I would never be accepted there. Or if I walked into that church, lightning would hit, right? I mean, with my lifestyle and some of the choices I made, if I come to church, if I come to your church pastor, then lightning would strike and like the building would fall down. And so that's why I always tell them, just sit by the pole. You're safe, right? I mean, if you're one of those, that, that's nothing about anybody sitting by the pole. <laughs> just want to clear that up. <laughs> right? And so I try to make, make a joke out of it, try to help them. Because, listen, there are people in our community that feel like they've been marginalized by the church, right? They feel like they've been judged by the church. They feel like they've been kicked out by the church. They feel like they haven't been accepted by the church. And so, see, the, the early church, I mean, this is powerful. The early church, you know how they changed Roman culture? They went after the outcasts. They went after the marginalized. They went after the people that said that, you know what, your life doesn't really matter. And all of a sudden, Simon, Peter, and John are going to worship. And this man is outside of the temple. And so and he, and he, he's begging. I mean, put, your, put yourself in this man's shoes. How, how would you survive? How would you make a living? And you know what you would do? You would beg. That's the only thing you could do in their, their culture. That's the only way you could survive and so, and so in Jerusalem, I mean, at this temple, he had like prime real estate because here's another thing of Jewish tradition and Christians, uh, generosity is a big pillar for us, right? And so he was outside the church because he knew that generosity is a, pill, is a great pillar of the Jewish faith and the Jewish tradition. And as people come into worship, they're more apt to give. And so Simon, Peter, and John, they're approaching the, this gate and then this lame beggar, uh, with his, his head is down, his countenance is down. I mean, he is, he is not making eye contact. He, he knows they're coming, and he begins to beg. Here's what he says, verse 3. Simon Peter and John, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Now, he's just asking for money, right? And so, but here's what's interesting. That phrase, he asked to receive alms, it, it really doesn't tra translate well from Greek to English. In the Greek, the tense, that, 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 that phrase, he asked to receive alms, is continual action. It's continual action to the point of being annoying, right? And so, so when, I, when I read this, I thought of our youngest daughter, Amanda. When Amanda was really young, and even now as an adult, I mean, it's really annoying, but, but whenever, <laughs> whenever, she, whenever she wants mom's attention, especially when she was young, she didn't care what mom was doing. She didn't care if mom's on the phone or, or, or reading something or, or busy cooking something or doing something. Amanda could care less what, what mom was doing. And so Amanda would go, mama, 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 until like mom would just like finally answer. I mean, it's just so annoying. I mean, Karen and I right now are praying that Amanda's daughter Harper gets this spiritual gift. I mean, we... We're like, oh, God, please. I mean, let her see what it was like. I mean, right? And we're not the only grandparents that pray stuff like that. And so <laughs> all the grandparents said, amen, right? I mean, we all, I mean, we're like, yeah, let them see what it's like to raise you. And so, uh, and so, but Amanda, 
Amanda, it didn't matter to her. It's just annoying. So this man at the, at the, at the beautiful gate, this man is like, give me a shackle. Give me money. Feed me. Help me. Feed me. Help me. Give me. I need help, help. I mean, to the point of being annoying. He wasn't the type of guy that would just sit on the curb with a sign, right? Uh, that, that need help. Please give me. And, and but he wasn't that type of a guy. And so this guy is just, he's just pleading with him. Watch this. What Peter and John do in verse, verse 4. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. That is so important. You know what? Buddy, you matter to us. All of a sudden, there's a shift. It's a subtle shift. You ever, you ever visited with someone in a crowd, and you just wish they'd look at you right? You ever gone to a banquet? You ever gone to something out in the community? And there's, those, there's always those people. They're only there to, like, network, right? They're only there to shake as many hands as they can and network with the most influential people they can find. And then you try to have a conversation with them, and they're like looking over you and looking over at your, sh your shoulder. And as soon as they find someone that has more influence than you, is more, more powerful than you or whatever, how you want to phrase that, they cut the conversation short and they go after the next person, right? So we're, we're used to that, right? And so, but see, Simon Peter and John, they were different. They had been changed. And so they looked at this man and said, hey, look at us. You know, make eye contact. You, 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 you matter. Don't sit there with your head down like there is no hope for you. Don't sit there like you're less than human. Who told you that? Just look at us. Make eye contact. See, the first thing is this. The church's ministry lies in the path of its members. That's why it's so important how we accept people when they walk in the door for the first time. I don't know if you know this, but there can be some people that are emotionally exactly like this beggar, wondering if they're going to get rejected, wondering if they're going to get judged. Do you realize we have people that show up and they're giving God one last chance? One last chance. And the way we react to them, the way we minister to them, means everything. See, Simon, Peter, and John were so changed by God. They understood that everybody that they make eye contact with matters to God. Matters to Him. And the second thing is this, is you've got to understand you have something that everybody needs. When you understand the gospel and you understand the implications of the gospel, like Simon, P Peter, and John, then you come to the place that you understand that, guess what? You have something that everybody needs. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack that question for you, but it's, it's, it, for me, it's a powerful question. It's, it's just one of those important questions to, to, um, to contemplate, to decide, and make a commitment around. Let me ask you this question. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's that one person, whether they're in your family, your place of business, your neighborhood, Someone that you hang out with doing a hobby or whatever. Someone that you know. Maybe a childhood friend. Who's, who's your one? Who's that one person that you have around you that you know needs God in their life? That needs a relationship with Jesus Christ? Who's that? Sometimes I think we get overwhelmed by just so many and who do I talk to? What if we just broke it down to one? What if every one of us began praying for our, our one? That one person that we've never really had that spiritual conversation with that we know we should, that's a close friend. I mean, we talk about 
football and basketball and golf and tennis and hunting and fishing and all of those other things with. But for some reason, we never get to the place that we talk about like, like the other side of our life, the spiritual side of our life. And so let me ask you, who, who's your one? And then would you just simply make a commitment and say, you know what? I'm just going to break it down to one person. See, this is this man, this lame beggar. That's Simon Peter and John's one. And you say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to make a commitment. And over, over the next, next several weeks, um, I'm, I'm going to start praying for them. And then whenever the opportunity arises, I'm just going to try to have a spiritual conversation. Well, just, just, I mean, you don't have to be weird about it. And you don't have to be strange about it. You can be normal about this. And, and just say, hey, do you, you know what? Do you mind if I just start praying for you daily? Here, here's, what I, here, here's what I listen for. And um, this isn't rocket science. I know this. Um, I listen for what I call not statements. Like when, when, I'm, when I'm hanging out with some, some lost people, people who don't know Christ, when I'm hanging out with some people who are far away from him and I know they don't have a relationship with Christ, and all of a sudden they, they make some comments like, I cannot believe I'm going through this. I am not going to make it through this season. I did not expect my life to turn out like this. I cannot believe this is happening to me. I see that as an open door. And, I, and you don't have to get weird and you don't have to get crazy with any of this. And you just, you just step in and listen, I don't do this in a group. If they say this and there's a group of us hanging out, then I wait till when we're one-on-one and I say, hey, you, you made a comment earlier and, and I, I picked up on that comment. And, and so could I, would you mind if I just prayed daily for you? Can I just tell you this? I haven't had anyone reject that. Even people that don't believe in God, I haven't had one person say, no, don't pray for me at all. And then when the opportunity is right, then I will step in and I'll say, hey, would, would you like to come to church with me? A lot of times we have a lot of pressure on ourselves. You know where the pressure is when we make that ask? The pressure is, what if they say no? What if they don't accept Christ? What if they don't ch- let, let me tell you something. The results are up to God, not you. You, you only have to make the ask. I mean, this, this is, this is, that's God's deal. That's not your deal. You just have to be willing just to simply make the ask. It's a, it's a really cool story, but we, we, had, we had someone in, in our church, and, and I don't know, this was a year or so ago, and, and they, they had their one. They had an individual that they, they really wanted that individual to, to, to meet Christ and, and change their life. And, and so, but one of the problems was is their friend uh, was hearing impaired. He, he, was, he was deaf. And, um, and so they knew that if we bring him to church, he's not really going to be able to, I mean, on the worship music, the, the, the words come out, come up on the screen, but, but the sermon, the words don't come up. And so he won't be able to hear the sermon. So you know what they did? They were so concerned about their friend that, that uh, they went out and they, they found a, a, an interpreter, a sign interpreter. They called the church office and said, hey, listen, we're not asking the church to do anything other than we'd just like permission to to bring our friend with, a, with an interpreter so that the interpreter can interpret the message for him. And so the interpreter uh, stood down there, and he sat on the first or the second row, and, and she interpreted the message. That's how passionate they were about their one. Every one of us has someone around us 
And what would happen if we just if we just came to the place and we understood that everybody that we understood that 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 we have something that everybody needs verse 5. And so he, he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something. So so I'm sure he was expecting to receive some money or something and and uh, because that's all he was asking for, verse 6. But, but Peter said, I, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And so all of a sudden, Simon, Peter, and John, they, they like heal this guy. Now, this is the first healing since the ascension of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so all of a sudden, the, this beggar is asking for money, and they, give him, they gave him the ability to walk. They gave him the ability to have purpose in life. They gave him the ability to worship God and to have friends and to have relationships. And so, but you know what? In our time, many people, many people are like the beggar. And so they're, they're, not, they're not begging for money. You know what they're begging for? They're, they're begging for acceptance. They're, they're begging for purpose in life. They're, they're begging for, for forgiveness. And, and they're begging for this meaning and this purpose for life or, or connecting with God. And there's many people that are like this beggar. They simply come to the place and said that, that God really doesn't care about me or, or I'm, I'm unlovable. If, if they knew all that I have done, that they would not like me, they would not love me, or, or nobody will ever love me. If, if people really knew me, they wouldn't accept me. In, in other words, they need to know this God of a unconditional love. They need to know this God of, of forgiveness that can totally and completely forgive you. And as a result of that, as a result of that, your life can radically change. Verse 7, as we walk through this story, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. In other words, this is like a true miracle. This man had been lame since birth, and now all of a sudden that, that he can walk. And, and this is the first miracle that was performed by Simon Peter and, 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 and John and and. And it goes back to the ministry of Jesus. In fact, it's John 14, 12. Here's what Jesus said. We're going to unpack, unpack this in the coming days. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. In other words, in the early stages of the church forming, that, there, that people were healing, Simon Peter and John were healing like Jesus did, and that, that helped the 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 the. the, the society and culture to know that God is on this place. But listen, let me tell you something. Anytime God healed someone, it wasn't to make their life better. It wasn't to make their life easier. The reason he healed people is to point them to God. And the reason he healed them was to give God glory and not man glory. And so the, the same is true today. And so verse 8, and leaping up, he, he talking about the, the beggar. He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now listen, Luke is like, is like a, a medical doctor, so he gives a lot of detail about this. Verse 7, he says, we first had to give him assistance, and then, then his ankles and his feet were made strong. Verse 8 said, now then he needs like no assistance. He's like leaping, he's like ju jumping, he's jumping for joy. So Luke is trying to communicate to us that this was complete healing. And so this man was totally and completely healed. The third and the last principle is this. Your ministry to one multiplies to many. Your ministry to one multiplies to many. You reach one, you'll reach a family. Man, we've watched this happen over and over here at Fellowship the Rockies to where one person meets Christ, one person turns their life around, and before you know it, they're talking to their family, they're talking to their friends, and all of a sudden, you begin to reach a family, you begin to reach many. Verse 8, he says, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, 
Can you imagine what that church service was like? I mean, can you imagine going to church that day and you knew this beggar. You knew that he's the guy that's been sitting out in front of the church begging for money for like 40 years. And now all of a sudden this man comes in and he's leaping and he's jumping and he has joy. He's praising God. I mean, can you imagine the encouragement that it would bring you? But can you imagine what it was like for him? Your entire life, you'd been an outcast, a reject, no friends, no family. You know, every day someone puts you at the beautiful gate and you beg for money and and you watch people go into the temple to worship and you see their joy and you see their conversations and you see their relationships and, and you realize you don't have access to community, you don't have access to God. And then all of a sudden, this, 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 this God radically, listen, radically changes you to where you no longer look like you once did. And now you're praising him. Nobody had to teach this man how to worship. I mean, it just came natural out of gratitude and how much he was thankful. Verse 9, it says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one. So listen, he's Simon Peter and John's one. And it says, and, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. In other words, they're encouraged by what God did in this man's life. You ever, you ever sat through a baptism? You ever had a friend and, and their life was radically changed and it encouraged you? Maybe that's, happen Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe there was a time that you met Christ and your life, listen, your life was radically changed. That was my story. My story in my 20s, my life, I mean, my life literally fell apart. And I stepped into a church that didn't judge me, that, uh, that, that, that allowed me to come into the church, uh, and they taught me how to have a relationship with Christ. They taught me how to worship. And my life, listen, my life was radically changed. And, and it was this issue of, of understanding this issue of personal faith. See, a lot of times, and, and, and I just worry about this so much, about the, about the local church in our culture. You know the reason that the first century church was, was, was so attractional? Why it grew so fast? It wasn't because of a rock star pastor. It wasn't because of a rock star worship team. You, you know what it was? Transformed people inside. The whole society knew they're different. They're different. You know what concerns me so much about the contemporary church? Many times, people who attend church their life Monday through Saturday doesn't look much different than anyone else. They're not called out. They handle life the same way. They say the same things. They deal with the problems the same way. They deal with fear. They deal with all these, they deal with all these issues. And honestly, you can't tell much difference. See, first century, people who went to those churches, they were, they were radically changed. Where they truly loved one another. They truly loved their neighbor as themselves. That's why Simon Peter and John, when they came into the church and they saw this man that people were making fun of, there was an outcast in society, you know what they did? They said, look at us. Look at us. They learned this issue of how to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, there was a difference so many times in, in contemporary church, in our society. We've been taught that your faith is is personal 
and should like never be made public. And I tell you something, that's, that's not in Scripture. That is not in Scripture. Yes, we have a personal faith. Yes, we have a personal walk with the Lord. But it should never remain private. It should become public. Do people around you, do people around you know? I mean, do they know that you're a Christ follower? Do they know that there is something that has happened in your life to transform you and to change you? How about in your marriage and how about in relationships? Because see, this issue, it should change everything. When you become a believer, it should change everything of how you handle relationships around you, how you handle people around you, how you handle situations, your conversation, all of those things. When you have been changed by Christ like Simon, Peter, and John, like like this beggar, Everything changes. Question for you this morning. Have you come to a place in your life where you've been radically and completely changed by him? To where you can point back to a time and say, That's the, that, man, is, that is the day that I met Christ. That is the day that I became a Christ follower. And as a result of that, my life didn't get perfect overnight. Fact is, it will never get perfect. But as a result of that, there was a change that happened in my life. And I quit doing some of the things that I once did. And I started doing some new things. I quit living in fear. I began to trust him. I began to take his word and like actually read it. And then begin to apply it to my situation and apply it to my life. I mean, that was Paul's testimony. That was Simon Peter's testimony. That was Apostle John's testimony. That's what made the early church so powerful. The transformed lives of the people who worshiped there. The way they handled their relationships, the way they handled situations, the way they handled people, they have been totally and completely changed. Let me ask you this. Do you, do you know who your one is? That one person. It's in your family, your business, a relationship that you have that says, you know, I want them to know God. Would you make a commitment to begin praying about them? And then just as doors open... Just have a conversation with them. Do you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?